Hi, this is Dan. In a moment, I'm going to share a message with you about worry and how you can win over worry. You can follow my ministry at RevivalNow.com, also on social media with YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, all at RevivalNow, Dan Steep. On to the message. I hope you enjoy it. Remember, God's not mad. He loves you, and so do I. So I want to share a, a message with you today that I titled, How to Win Over Worry. How to Win Over Worry. Because, man, there's a, lot, uh, there's a lot out there that you can worry about. Um, there's a lot going on in the world. I know a lot of people that are uh, eaten up with worry, consumed by worry, uh, I see people, and, and it's, it's troubling because I love people, and I want people to be free and, and to, to live, uh, you know, a, a godly life, a, a life, you know, worthy of, of being here on earth, uh, fulfilling God's purpose for you, reflecting His image. But it's particularly disturbing to me the, the number of Christian people that I know who are eaten up with worry with stress, with fear. It's affecting, it's affecting people physically, spiritually, and in every way. And clearly, we can live above worry. I know that's true because there's no way in the world that Jesus would share the words that he shared with us in Matthew chapter 6. I want to springboard off of this passage of scripture to get us started in this live stream. He said in Matthew chapter 6, I'll read verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34. This is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing look at the birds of the air for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not of more value than they which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, in other words, after all these things, the people who are not following after God, they seek those things. 
For your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. May God bless the reading of His Word. Why do I know that we can live above worry? Because Jesus tells us we can. Jesus would not tell us not to worry if it were not possible to not live a worry-filled life. And the money verse, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Why shouldn't we worry? You know, having looked critically at my own life and the lives of other people, those around me, there's two words that, that describe our situation. I want to talk a little bit about those two words. The words are filled and unfulfilled. Filled. Our lives are so full. It's one of the most obvious characteristics of our daily lives is we are busy. I don't know if we should be that busy. I don't know if we're busy doing the right things. But our lives often resemble overpacked suitcases. You know, the kind suitcases back when I was a kid, you know, they were like hard case and you could, you could sit on them to close them. It's a little different now with all the zippers and, and the wheels and everything that, that accompany our suitcases today, but overpacked suitcases. And, and you would sit on them and then you would try to, you know, force that clasp closed. And, you know, like if somehow those clasps opened up, like that the lid would fly up and clothes could even, you know, kind of come shooting out. But that, that's what our lives often seem like, just overpacked. We're almost always behind schedule, rushing, moving on to the next thing, frazzled, trying to pack too many things into our schedules. I mean, it's, it's hard not to be busy. And, and somehow, uh, busyness has almost become like a status symbol. Like, it's a badge to be worn proudly that I'm busy all the time. That somehow being busy equates to importance in our lives. Like, busyness and importance are somehow synonymous when they're really not. And we'll say things to people like, I know you're busy, but do you have just a minute? Well, first of all, like, what's that really communicating? Other than my stuff and my life is the most important thing going on. Or, Or somehow 
your busyness is more important than my life. Or even your busyness is more important than my busyness. Being busy has become a way of identifying ourselves. So then when we get to the end of life, or we, we come to a place of retirement, whatever that's supposed to look like in your own life, when I no longer have an occupation to identify my life by, where does that leave me? Isn't it interesting that when people want to get to know you, know who you are and know what you're about, they'll always say, what do you do? You could give all kinds of answers, but until you give the answer about what is your occupation, what's your career, what's your, your career path or your business, they're still wondering and they're still asking, busy. Our lives are just filled with stuff. And if it's not filled with busyness for work or career or ministry or family, it's filled with ways that we try to entertain ourselves, ways that we try to escape from the realities of our lives into some other, some other quote, reality. But, but more, and, and that's like more enslaving than our occupations are our preoccupations. I mean, it, it's a mind filled with ifs. If I do this, what happens next? What if is like the, the words that go on the front end of our thoughts and our statements. Filled with what ifs. And there's, there's always been what ifs in life. What if I get that new hairstyle? What if I eat that food? What if I don't do what I think someone else expects me to do? And then you get down to, you know, current times. What if I get the virus? What happens if I take the vaccine? What if, what, if, what if I lose my job? What if I'm not allowed to travel? What if a certain president is elected? What if my money runs out? What if my health fails? And we live in this constant preoccupation of what ifs. And most of our suffering is connected with those preoccupations. And I don't have all the answers, but I know that Jesus tells us in his word not to worry. And I know that these words are penned specifically to believers. Our lives are so deeply molded by worries about tomorrow that today can hardly be experienced in its fullness. So worried and preoccupied about tomorrow and all the what-ifs that are uh, connected to it that I'm not living today. I'm not seeing my life today. I'm not seeing the people around me today. I'm not seeing uh, the, the ministry opportunities that are here today. 
everything in, a, in these lives that are so filled and packed with stuff it, it is communicate. Everything's communicated in, in a constant uh, emergency. I mean, even the news, the news cycles are all run off of breaking news. Any, anything new that breaks into the news, news cycle is breaking news. Perhaps that's because, like, most if not all of the stuff that's being talked about in the news cycle is just droning on and on. It's not even really news. So then when some new morsel, some little bit of information is, is discovered, it's released as breaking news. And it just deepens our restlessness. And it adds all these, it adds to all these fabricated preoccupations. Just added, adds it onto the list. What would happen if we just stopped worrying? Interesting thought. What would happen if we just stopped worrying? Most of us don't have an idea of how to answer that question because we can't imagine a life that's not lived in constant worry and preoccupation with tomorrow. But if the urge to be entertained so much if the, the urge to buy so much or to arm ourselves so much or, or all these urges that just drive us and compel us to move forward, if they no longer motivated our behavior, would we even know how to function? And, and could our society, as it is today, still function? I mean, consumerism and marketing is driven off of it. And we're caught in this web of, of false expectations and, and contrived needs, right? If, I, if, if a company through marketing and if the media can, can somehow contrive a need, create a need, or create a fear, and then come along with the so-called solution to the need or to the fear then that just, con just continues to drive consumerism. So our occupations, the things that we do, and our preoccupations, the things that we worry about, fill our external and our internal lives to the brim. And Jesus knows that. And so he gives this exhortation from his word in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, that we don't need to worry. That the grass of the field, the lilies, they don't carry, they don't fulfill such a, a, an expectation, not expectation, but a, a place of importance in the world as you and I do. And yet they're taken care of. And if God will take care of them, how much more Will he take care of you and I? These occupations and preoccupations prevent the Spirit of God 
from breathing freely in us and renewing our lives. Remember, I said these two words, fulfilled and unfulfilled. Because here's a reality. When your life is filled by all of these occupations and preoccupations, the life that is full to the brim is an unfulfilled life. Because beneath all the worrying lives, something else is going on. A gnawing sense of being unfulfilled underlies our filled lives. And it often manifests in boredom. You know, you can be busy and bored all at the same time. You can even be busy with Christian occupations and duties, busy with ministry and bored at the same time. You can be busy in church, singing songs and listening to sermons and be bored all at the same time. Because being busy does not mean a lack of boredom. And I know all kinds of people and all kinds of Christians that are just flat out bored. Bored with life as it is. Wondering, you know, bored with the idea that my life maybe doesn't make a difference. And that my occupation and what I do on a daily basis really isn't fulfilling and really isn't accomplishing something that's making a difference in my life and in the lives of others, and I'm bored. And I know Christian people that are just caught up in the, the quote-unquote Christian thing, the duties, the, the religious stuff, you know, going to church and going to Sunday school and, and paying their tithe and, and being involved in serving in one capacity or another, but completely unfulfilled and they find themselves wondering is this all there is to it and you get bored and and then people after a while when they get bored and 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 they feel irrelevant and, and they they see all the promises from scripture and what they say but they don't realize that experience in their own lives and they begin to fade away we become bored out of disconnectedness, that I could serve in ministry, that I could be active in my church and be disconnected from God. And while I'm busy with many things, I'm wondering if any of these things that I'm busy with are really making any difference. And life presents itself to me as a random and unconnected series of events over which we have little say and little control. And to be bored means that we question the value of the things that we're so busy doing. And there's the great paradox that I mentioned early. Many of us are busy and bored at the same time. In short, while our lives are full we feel unfulfilled. And it can lead to depression, discouragement. Depression is, is the most debilitating expression 
of our unfulfillment. And I've been there in my life. I've been there in my ministry. And I thank God that I listened to his voice. I thank God that I I availed myself to him more. I thank God that I chose to pursue a deeper understanding and experience with his Holy Spirit. And because of that, one of the many benefits that have come from that is hearing his voice and responding to it in faith and obedience. That even brings me to a place of sharing live streams like this with you today. And it brought me to a place where we're, we're passionately seeking after winning the lost. Because Jesus is coming very soon. And I don't have time to be bored. I have to take as many people with me when he comes to receive me to himself in the air. Are we, as Jesus said in the scripture, in Matthew 6.33, are we seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Because you can go to church every Sunday, you can go to church every day of the week and still not be seeking his kingdom, his heart, his purposes in the earth. Are we seeking his kingdom and his righteousness? Jesus responds to the condition of being full yet unfulfilled, of being very busy yet unconnected all at the same time. The the condition of being all over the place and yet never being home. And it's of this condition that Jesus speaks when he says do not worry set your hearts on his kingdom first and all these things will be given to you as well this scripture in Matthew 6:33 it popped out at me as a young christian it arrested my attention. It was one of the very first scripture verses in the Bible that I committed to memory. I was captivated by it. I thought, wow, there it is. I just need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will take care of all this other stuff. He'll put the pieces of my life in place in a way that fits and makes sense. But unfortunately, I set out to seek first his kingdom the only way that I knew how. Read my Bible, go to church, pray, get involved in ministry, pay my tithes. And you can do all of those things and not seek first his kingdom. And I'm really excited. I, I hope that I can break into the routines in your life, the busyness, the full yet unfulfilled aspects of your life. And I want for us to look at the life of Jesus. He's 
clearly our model. Everything that he did, he intends for us to do. And there's very little doubt that Jesus' life was a very busy life. Hey, if you're watching, please let us know where you're watching from. Give us a, an emoji hand wave. Say hi to us. Let us know where you're watching from. We like to celebrate our, our expanding and, and growing, uh, I don't want to say audience, but followers um, on social media through our live streaming. So it's really important to understand that Jesus' life was a very busy life. And yet, he's the one, in the midst of his busy life, he said these words. Don't worry. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. It will be taken care of. It's interesting to me that in the New Testament, the word kingdom or phrase kingdom of heaven is used um, most of the time, 30-some times, but only like six times is kingdom of God used, and that's, that's the verbiage that Jesus chose to use in this passage and in this particular scripture, in Matthew 6.33. How do we seek first the kingdom of God? and His righteousness. Well, I want to share a passage of Scripture with you from Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 39. It's Mark chapter 1, 32 to 39. Remember, Jesus was very busy. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought Him to all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So Jesus is healing the sick, casting out demons, very busy, crowds pressing in on him. Now, in the midst of all that, the next morning, he rose a long while before daylight. Why did he do that? And he departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Why did he rise early? Because in the midst of building and expanding the kingdom, his first job was for him himself to seek first the kingdom. And so he rose early in the morning 
departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. There, in the midst of all of his busyness and all of his ministry activity, there he sought the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he did that while his disciples were searching for him. They had more stuff to put on his plate, more busyness, more things to do. In fact, when they, when they found him, they said, everyone's looking for you. Can you imagine? Is, is, is everyone really looking for him? No. But some people are. Maybe a lot of people, maybe not. But one thing I found out in ministry is that People want to make their crisis your crisis. And most of the time, the, what seems so urgent to them is actually not urgent, but it is to them. There are actually very few things that are emergency level urgent that can't wait another hour or another day or until you get back from your vacation. But in the, in the life of a person who is filled yet unfulfilled and occupied and preoccupied so much that they live in a world of what if and worry, everything in their life is urgent. So they come to him and they say, everyone's looking for you. And this was his response to them. He didn't say, oh, I didn't realize I was so popular. He didn't even say, well, I hate to disappoint them, but he simply said, in response to them saying, everyone's looking for you, he said, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Jesus had a singularity of focus. What purpose was it that Jesus came for? There are all kinds of things that you can look to in Scripture. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to destroy the works of the devil. But there's something far more at the center of his life than that. The purpose for which he came forth. Remember, Jesus had a very filled life And he was seldom ever left alone. And everything that we know about Jesus indicates that he was only concerned with one thing. To do the will of his Father. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus' number one occupation and preoccupation was to do the will of his Father. And nothing in the Gospels is as impressive as Jesus' single-minded obedience to the Father. I want to share some scriptures with you. From his first recorded words in the temple, he said, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? To his last words on the cross where he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
and everything in between, his only concern was to do the will of the Father. He says, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. The works that Jesus did are the works that the Father sent him to do. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And they're the words that he spoke. The words that he spoke were the words that the Father gave him. And he leaves no doubt about it. I'm telling you, this can change your life and change your ministry. On a weekly basis and sometimes a daily basis, it's either myself or our staff, we're asking the question, okay, what is it that the Father has given us to do? And we know. We know the Father has given us a million souls to pursue, a million soul mandate. And everything that we do or don't do is filtered through that. How can we reach the most amount of souls possible before Jesus returns? So this is what Jesus said. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. How about that? If I don't do the works of my Father, don't even believe what I say. He said, the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. How many of us can say that? How many of us can say that our lives are truly ordered around what our Father is saying to us? Because that's what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God, and not my righteousness, but His. Jesus is not our Savior simply because of what He said and what He did for us. He's our Savior because of what He said and did in response and obedience to the Father. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Jesus' obedience means a total fearless listening to his Father's voice. Total fearless listening to his loving Father's voice. Hallelujah. The Father opens himself up totally to the Son and puts everything in his hands. All knowledge, all glory, all power. And the Son opens himself up totally to the Father and returns everything into his Father's hands. And everything that Jesus did, he did and he modeled for us to do. John 16, 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. We'll never understand the full meaning of Jesus' richly varied ministry unless we see how the many things are rooted in the one thing. 
lovingly listening to the Father. Our lives are destined to become like the life of Jesus. I hope you know that today. Your life, regardless of who you are, where you come from, and what's going on in your life at this very moment, your life is destined to become like the life of Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad your sin, here's a truth for you. Your life was destined to become like the life of Jesus. Everything that belongs to Jesus is given for you and I to receive. All that Jesus does, all that he has done, and all that he will do, we may do also. He withholds nothing from us. He said in John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I have so much that I want to share with you today. And I can't wait. I'm going to continue this message. But I can't move any forward, any further without talking to you about your greatest friend, Jesus. He said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to give you everything the Father gave to him. He wants your life to look like his life and for you to do the works that he did through your life. I'm talking to somebody today that's not even walking with Jesus in a personal relationship. And God wants Jesus, God through his son, wants to make you the greatest soul winner this world has ever known. In spite of everything that you've gone through and come through. Would you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today? I pray you will. Jesus is coming back soon. The clock is running out. Jesus voted for you. The devil voted against you. But today, you can cast the deciding vote. I'm going to pray a prayer. I want you to repeat this prayer after me out loud. A prayer, a simple prayer of salvation. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. Just repeat this prayer out loud after me. Lord Jesus, I admit that I've sinned. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the grave to give me victory over sin and death. I confess my sinfulness to you. I repent of it 
please forgive me and come into my heart and life and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer together with me, let me be the first person to welcome you to the family of God. You are my newest brother or sister in Christ. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you prayed that prayer out loud after me, you called on the name of the Lord. So by the authority of God's word, I say to you, you are saved, you're born again, and you're on your way to heaven because you have Jesus in your heart. I'd like you to do something for me. Go to our website at revivalnow.com, and on the front page, there's a red button that says, I just got saved. Click that button. You'll find uh, some resources that I've prepared to help you get started on the right foot in your relationship with Christ. There's also a place for you to fill out your contact information. Please take a moment and fill that out, because we want to know who you are. We want to be able to pray for you by name, and we want to be able to be a resource to you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And while you're there, uh, make sure you scroll down to the bottom of the front page of our website, and you can, you can subscribe to our e-newsletter, and get uh, every other week we'll be sending out updates uh, through our weekly e-newsletter, or bi-weekly, I should say. So we want you to be able to, to um, take part in that with us also. Amen. I also want to give any other people that are watching, all of our partners, our ministry partners across this country and around the world, maybe you've not partnered with us financially before. We want to give you an opportunity to do that today if you'd like to. See, we're going to give you, uh, we'll put some ways up on the screen that you can follow, different uh, avenues that you can follow to, uh, to financially invest in our ministry to sow a seed into this ministry. You can be a part of the thousands of souls that are coming into the kingdom of God. Over 6,000 souls have come into the kingdom this year through this ministry already, and we're just getting started. And when you partner together with us, every soul that's won into the kingdom through this ministry is credited to your account as well. So you can go to our website at revivalnow.com forward slash invest now. And all of the ways that you can give are listed there, all the different ways that you can invest and partner together with us. There's a form that you can fill out there that we'd appreciate you would, if you'd take a moment and fill that out. If you want to uh, receive a, a statement at the end of the year of your giving, you use for taxes and so forth, we need you to fill that form out because some of our giving platforms do not provide that information. And that's the only way that we can follow up with you. So take a moment and fill that form out. But you can text RN Give to 888-364-4483. You can find us on Cash App at dollar sign RN Give and on PayPal at RN Give. If you like to give the old-fashioned way, you can make your check payable to Revival Now, P.O. Box 411, Marysville, Ohio. 43040. That's Revival Now, P.O. Box 411, Marysville, Ohio, 43040.
1-800-273-8840. Amen. Well, as you're, as you're making your kingdom investment, I just want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for everyone who's listening to this live stream and everyone who listened to it recorded. Thank you for the souls. Thank you for the people that are saying yes to Jesus right now. Bless them, Lord. Pour your spirit out upon their life. I speak blessing and breakthrough and freedom and victory and abundance and overflow in every area of their lives, relationally, financially. Bless their health. Bless their marriages. Bless their businesses and ministries. Bless their occupations for your glory, Lord. We'll give you all the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, from myself, my wife Shannon, and everyone here on the Revival Now team, we want you to know that we love you, we believe in you, we're proud of you, and we're praying for you, and we can't wait to see you again soon. So until the next time, God bless.